Dear fellow redeemed, we're consider briefly our gospel reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. And there is a little bit of a back and forth participation today. When I get to the part of my sermon where it says, Christ is risen, feel free to respond in a nice loud voice. He is risen indeed, alleluia. And if Christ had not been raised, then our faith is futile, then we are still in our sins, and then history doesn't even deserve a paragraph to this man, this Jesus of Nazareth. If Christ had not been raised, then there is no point to spend any time worshiping him, and really no point in worshiping anybody else, because he was the only one who had promised more than what the world had to offer. He was the only one who promised to do it all and to have it count as yours. And if Christ had not been raised, then, then we are lost. But Christ is risen. And that is the very first message that we begin to see in our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 28. By the time God sends this angel down from heaven, Jesus Christ had already um, come alive within the tomb, and he had already begun proclaiming his resurrection victory. The stone is simply rolled away to display and to demonstrate that the grave was empty. And when the angels came down from heaven, it was a frightening sight. Those men shook and became like dead men. They fainted dead away, we might say. But the only thing more shocking than perhaps an angel would have been the fact that Jesus had, um, had left the tomb. And not only had he left the tomb, he had, he had made his bed before he left. Kind of like when your mom used to say you should make your bed in the morning before you go to school. Well, Jesus had laid everything out and the headcloth was set aside separately, demonstrating also that this Jesus had not been the victim of a grave robbery as later in Matthew chapter 28 would assert. That this Jesus had spent, simply spent some time in this borrowed tomb and raised himself back to life. Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And the very first thing that he does after he becomes alive again is he descends into hell. It's kind of that, that one phrase that is balancing out in the middle of nowhere in the Apostles' Creed. Um, that he descended into hell and then he, he came... Um, where is it? Here it is. The, the third day, here it is. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And the way it's kind of laid out in our hymnal is that, that phrase, that sentence, is balancing out in the middle of space. As if to say we don't really know what this means. But we do. Because the very first thing that Jesus did after he became alive again was he descended into hell. In that, that area, that place, that, um, that domain where Satan is the most notorious of prisoners and where Satan himself had incited Judas to betray Jesus. And Jesus descends there, body and soul, to demonstrate that, yes, yes, because of his perfect life, death, and resurrection, now humans, Jesus Christ, true man and true God, are able and qualified to enter eternity, body and soul. 
and he descends into hell to demonstrate his victory, that he proclaims to them exactly the same thing that you hear every Sunday, exactly the same thing that you hear from all of your scripture, that Jesus has won the forgiveness of sins, that those who trust in him have not been put to shame, that forgiveness of sins is distributed exactly as God had said, through his word, through his sacraments, and that, that Jesus has won. And so as he goes through the streets of hell, proclaiming his victory, what he basically says to them is, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Kind of fun, isn't it? And as he goes through the streets of hell, he is really proclaiming that he has nothing more to fear. That even if, and simply because, all of hell had rallied their strength against him, and the best they could do was what? Incite Judas to betray him? And then Jesus was the one who laid down his life on Good Friday. No one took it from him. He laid it down. He has power to take it up again. And as he goes through the streets of hell, the, the final clang of the prison door is shut. And the final certainty of this risen Jesus who has come to live with you, that this risen Jesus has that same power over death and devil and temptation in your life also. His victory march continues because it simply began in the streets of hell, but it continues on from there. The angels have begun to announce it. When the women arrive at the tomb, they had, they had rested on the Sabbath day, and then they got up early the next morning to go to the tomb and to prepare the body of Jesus properly to finish the job. And they are looking for a dead man. Could you imagine? If you've ever been one of those people after experiencing the loss of a loved one, you know the slow and determined footsteps to the graveside of putting flowers there or maybe visiting there a month or so later after the stone has finally been finished and is in place. You know the finality of it all, that the, the dirt and then eventually the grass that grows over that, that grave says that things aren't, cha aren't changing here. But you see, these women are going to a cemetery. They aren't going, they weren't going to a simple graveside. They weren't simply going to a collection, a, some nondescript burial place. They're going to a cemetery. That term, that word cemetery, finding its root in the, the word for seed. As Paul says, don't you know that in the resurrection of the dead, that the body we plant will sprout forth in the resurrection? And they go to a cemetery to prepare the body, and they think, well, we will look ahead to the resurrection at the end of time, exactly as Martha had said, Lord, I know that Lazarus will rise in the resurrection of, uh, at the end of time. But when they get there, the angel says, don't be afraid. It's the exact same message that Jesus had proclaimed in the streets of hell, the exact same message that is proclaimed to those women there. But since Jesus is the, the one who has died for their sin, who has raised himself to life, that exact same message now is a message of comfort. That there's nothing more to fear, there's nothing more to grieve, and that because Jesus raised himself from the dead, it's no longer simply a grave, a burial place, but it is a cemetery. A place where, yes, we, we lay our loved one for a time. And we might even have that imagery of planting them in the ground like a seed. 
But we know that at the end of time, that they will be raised to life again because Christ is risen. And that comfort, that comfort means that those who have died in Christ are not lost. That those, that those who fear death need not fear it anymore. Because when, when you are eventually laid in that tomb for yourself, it's as simple as, as being laid down in a crib. Like a little child being laid to sleep and waking up the next morning. The comfort that Jesus has won and that there is nothing left to fear. The comfort that those who have passed away in Christ are not lost. That Jesus is the one keeping them safe, guarding them. And Jesus is the one who who will reunite their body and soul at the end of time. And we, just as Christ entered eternity body and soul, so also we will enter eternity body and soul with our loved ones to gather around the throne of the Lamb forever and ever. As if to say that if only for this life we had hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all people. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And his resurrection means that, yes, your sin is forgiven, and it also means that, yes, you will be raised from the dead as well. That shouldn't have been a surprise, because Christ did this to fulfill exactly what he had promised. That truth of the resurrection of the dead has been scattered throughout all of Scripture from the very first pages of the Old Testament to, for instance, Moses at the burning bush. When Moses is standing there and he takes his sandals off about 600 years after Abraham, and God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That even though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been in the tomb for 400, 500, nearly 600 years by the time Moses is standing at the burning bush, God is still their God because they are safe with him. And that promise of, of life forever with our Lord, that promise linked together with the literal, physical resurrection of the dead, that in my, in my flesh I will see God, I will see him with my own eyes. What certainty, what comfort, what prophecy. And we see it fulfilled in this first one who raised himself from the dead. All of scripture fulfilled. Every single promise completed. Nothing left undone. All of it completed for you. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ, yes, it was frightening to those who had opposed him, those who stood guard at the tomb, those who were in hell. It is a comfort to the Christian. The same message that Jesus proclaimed there in hell is the same message that we celebrate today. And this isn't a surprise because it's also the fulfillment of what God had said all along, that Christ is risen. And the final little bit is that This resurrection of Jesus isn't something that is completely apart from you and me. Not simply the recitation of historical facts from 2,000 years ago, or looking ahead to that last day when we will be reunited with with all flesh. But it's also a present-day reality. It's inscribed in our baptismal font, baptismal basin on the way in. Raised in his resurrection. Buried with him in his death. And it's very purposeful that it's inscribed right there, that it's written right there, drawing on Romans chapter 6, 
that the power of your baptism is something that is only powered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, but it is a literal and actual power. That when you were baptized at that font or similar, that this resurrected Jesus came to take up residence within your heart. That he put his name on your brow, on your head, and upon your heart. That he, he gave to you this new life. This new life that isn't simply a set of principles to live by, as every other religious guru might propose. That the new life that he offers isn't simply a list of do's and don'ts, as every lawgiver might suppose. But that this new life that he gives is an actual life that is different from the death we used to have. That when you were raised with Christ in baptism, that was a foreshadowing of your own resurrection. That you, when you were raised with Christ in baptism, that is the promise of Jesus applied to your head through his water and through that word. The promise of Jesus that even though our bodies and our lives are susceptible to death and dying and decay and destruction and disease and any, anything else that starts with D, I suppose, even though our lives are subject to all of the worry and the doubt that this world would have to offer, the resurrection of Jesus is stronger. I don't care what it is. The resurrection of Jesus is stronger. Death, the resurrection of Jesus is stronger. Taxes, the only other certainty in life, the resurrection of Jesus is stronger. Temptation, the resurrection of Jesus is stronger. Addiction, the resurrection of Jesus is stronger. Worry, doubt, guilt, the resurrection of Jesus is stronger. You see how Paul lays it out for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great resurrection chapter. He doesn't just say, oh, Jesus rose from the dead, trust me on this. <laughs> he says, I preached it to you, that Jesus rose exactly as he said, that he rose exactly as all of scripture prophesied, that you took your stand on this, on this gospel truth, that he displayed himself alive to more than 500 people. And here are their names. You can go find them. You can go talk to them. Because this resurrection of Jesus, the literal, physical, actual, historical reality, has spiritual value for you. Because you are baptized into this resurrection in your baptism. That this resurrection of Jesus means that, yes, you do have a new life. And it's not just pious wishes and principles to try to apply and something to try to live up to. No, it's flipped around. And that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.